from deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me. Oh. 
From New Orleans, Louisiana, and uh, dedicated to the memory of Doris, I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. That's what's dedicated to that. Um, and now, ladies and gentlemen, let's um, let's take a look back just a few hours. Yes, it's another show that uh, dares to mention the name of <laughs> President Trump. Um, he did a um, an appearance. At uh, Yellow, uh, no, <laughs> Mount Rushmore. The rent for Yellowstone was too high, so he went to Mount Rushmore, and um, it's an, uh, a, a nutty speech, I'd say. Um, and this may be the the nuttiest moment of it. One of their political weapons is cancel culture, driving people from their jobs, shaming dissenters and demanding total submission from anyone who disagrees. This is the very definition of totalitarianism. Definition of what? Totalitarianism. Okay. Just wanted to get that straight. Please. Eh. No confusion there. Um, th- he was, of course, talking about, uh, you know, the, um, the demonstrators, the, the, um, the Marxists, the whatever he called them. And he just threw in looters. To be nice, because you got to be nice. The um, the thing that that strikes me now is something that struck me, <laughs> fell off the the shelf and struck me in two thousand two two thousand three. Cast your mind all the way back when we were being adjured by everybody left and right to focus on Iraq, and there were three criteria that then-President Bush, God, don't we wish, no, we don't. Uh, He advanced these three criteria to explain why he was going to attack Iraq. It uh, had attacked or invaded its neighbor. It had weapons of mass destruction, and it sheltered terrorists. I think it sheltered one terrorist. Didn't have weapons of mass destruction. You know, you know the story. But during that time, the... um, anti-war people were doing exactly the same thing as Bush was, focusing laser-like on Iraq. Like, that's it. That's the country. And on this very program, I think I mentioned at the time, I know I mentioned at the time, that it might be useful to widen the focus just a little bit. Because there was a country at the time that had invaded its neighbor, that was sheltering terrorists and, in fact, bankrolling them and had weapons of mass destruction. And we weren't talking about that country. We certainly weren't talking about invading that country. We were helping that country. It was Pakistan. And we're at, we're at a moment like that, I think, at, 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 the, at this very time. The, uh, the focus now is on Russia it has been for several years. New information has come out both from John, John Bolton's book, No, I Didn't Pay For It, and I'm proud of it, 
And uh, from a deeply reported story this week by Carl Bernstein, the non, non-Woodward part of Woodward and Bernstein. The, uh, the story in, in uh, Bolton's book relates to... <laughs> he calls him President Trump, saying to Chinese President Xi, when... Uh, he, Trump, was uh, was advised that China was building concentration camps for one million Muslim Chinese Uyghurs. It's a minority group in China. Well, that's great. That's the right thing to do, according to Bolton. That's what Trump said. And Bernstein's book, book Bernstein's book length, very long uh, piece of reportage, discusses the people that had the most access to Trump by telephone, according to intelligence sources. And they included Putin. And with much more access, many more calls, and the ability to reach Trump on the golf course, Turkish President Erdogan. And what Erdogan got out of the deal was Trump withdrawing enough troops for long enough out of Syria so that the Turks could wail the crap out of their longtime enemies and our longtime friends, the Kurds. And so, you know, if you widen the focus, you can't widen the focus. If you widen the shot to look at China, China and Turkey. Turkey, by the way, is a member of the NATO alliance, which was constructed as a coalition of democracies. And Erdogan's mission over the last little while has been to de-democratize Turkey. So just you widen the shot a little bit. And uh, one, one more item on the subject, and then Chuckles will, be, uh, will leave the room. No, he won't. He'll, he'll be back. The, uh, the Mount Rushmore gathering was the third, there was a fourth in Washington Saturday night, a mass gathering that uh, <laughs> President Trump has caused, <clears throat> called into existence in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Tulsa rally, rally in Arizona, and then these two. And we have seen members of his Secret Service detachment test positive for coronavirus, members of his campaign organization who worked on these events, test positive for coronavirus, and most recently, his son's girlfriend, test positive for coronavirus. And for, for you know, the people who still think, well, Putin runs the show, is Putin making him hold rallies where his own people get sick and maybe worse. That sounds more like Darwin's work. But maybe it's just as simple as this. If you're really, really, as, as John Bolton suggests in his book, make all your decisions based on how you look. That's what Bolton says. Whatever you think of him. You know what I think of him then um, 
may maybe he's just testing his fans to see how much they truly love him. And now, so be careful who you fall in love with as a public figure. Maybe maybe love a dog instead. And now, soft listen to the one. We can listen For years, it's been thought the South Pole had stayed cool, even as Antarctica heated up. But the South Pole has warmed three times faster than the rest of the planet in the last 30 years due to warmer tropical ocean temperatures. That's according to new research released this very week. Antarctica's temperature varies widely according to season and region. Researchers in New Zealand, Britain, and the United States analyzed 60 years of weather station data, used computer modeling, to show what was causing the accelerated warming. What did they find? Warmer ocean temperatures in the western Pacific that over the decades had lowered atmospheric pressure over the Weddell Sea in the southern Atlantic. That had increased the flow of warm air directly over the South Pole, warming it by more than 3.3 degrees Fahrenheit just since 1989. Authors of the research said the natural warming trend was likely boosted by man-made greenhouse gas emissions and could be masking the heating effect of carbon pollution over the South Pole. So the South Pole is taking it, uh, taking it badly. The uh, study was published in Nature, Climate Change. Already this year, fires in the spring arrived earlier and with more ferocity in Siberia. Siberia is having a heat wave. Stalin is just glad he's not alive to see this because he'd have to, you know, get all those offenders out of Siberia. They're having too good a time. Fires are three times as large this year, at least they were this April, as the year before. Wildfires are raging. I think this is from the Washington Post. Wildfires are raging amid record-breaking temperatures. Permafrost is thawing. So it's not so perma. Infrastructure is crumbling, so it's not so infra. And sea ice is dramatically vanishing. Goodbye! That would be a dramatic vanish. In Siberia and across much of the Arctic, profound changes are unfolding more rapidly than scientists anticipated only a few years ago. Shifts that once seemed decades away are happening now with potentially global applications. Vladimir Romanovsky a researcher at the University of Alaska at Fairbanks said the pace, severity, and extent of the changes are surprising, even to many researchers who study the region for a living. You call that a living? Predictions for how quickly the Arctic would warm that once seemed extreme, quote, underestimating or, or under, underestimate what is going on in reality, he said. The temperatures in the high Arctic during the past 15 years weren't predicted to occur for another 70 Neither Dallas nor Houston has hit 100 degrees this year. One of the coldest regions in the world, Siberia's Pole of Cold. There, the mercury climbed 100.4 degrees on June 20th. That would stand as the highest temperature in the Arctic since record-keeping began. I guess when they got heat in 1885. Before that, you know, my fingers are freezing. I can't write this. The triple-digit record was not a freak event, part of a searing heat wave. That's 11 straight days 
with a temperature of 86 degrees or above the average 68. Well, that's that kind of nice. That I, that doesn't 68 in Siberia in June. It sounds like San Francisco. The persistent warmth has helped to fuel wildfires, eviscerate sea ice, which of course have no, has no viscera, and destabilize homes and other buildings constructed on thawing permafrost. It allegedly even contributed to a massive fuel spill in Norlisk in late May that prompted President Putin to declare a state of emergency. What happens in the Arctic matters for the rest of the globe. Greenland ice, ice melt is already the biggest contributor to sea level rise worldwide. According to studies, the loss of Arctic sea ice is also thought to be leading to more extreme weather patterns far outside the Arctic. In a complex series of ripple effects, why don't we live on a simpler planet? Elon, make sure there aren't complex ripple effects on Mars before we spend any more money on that deal. The environmental benefits of taller, shrubbier tundra plants in the Arctic may be overstated. I, for one, have never overstated them. Not not, not one time. I, I've never mentioned them, but, you know, that's part of it. This story from uh, fizz.org. And that's not with a, not with two Z's, so I don't even go there. Or if you do, come back. Current ecosystem and climate models suggested as the Arctic warm warms, tundra ecosystems are becoming more productive, greater photosynthesis resulting in more carbon being removed or sequestered from the atmosphere. But those models don't consider the transfer and fate of this carbon below ground and how this can interact with soil carbon through the activities of microorganisms down in the dirt. This is critically important because the vast majority of carbon in Arctic ecosystems is found in soil and the so-called permafrost, not so perma as we have just discussed. So don't be looking for that uh, shrubbier tundra to help. The new research... Consider the impact of a shrubbier Arctic on soil carbon and the overall carbon sequestration potential, carbon being sequestered in the soil. It found some tall shrub communities stimulate recycling of carbon in soils, releasing it back into the atmosphere as carbon dioxide, meaning more productive shrubs might not always result in greater greater carbon sequestration. On the other hand, they're feeding themselves because that's what they eat. I mean, eat, you know, that's what they consume. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. It's a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. There was uh, there was darkness imputed to the uh, speech by, by <laughs> President Trump at uh, Mount Rushmore, but uh, there was you know he's he's capable of nutty optimism, like on the virus, and uh, so there was a a, a beautifully muskian. Note of optimism, as the four forefathers of our country sculptured in con- sculptured in granite by Gutzon Borglum, whom we learned, if we didn't know before, we learned this week in the feature stories around the event, was a Ku Klux Klan member. Ain't that nutty? Anyway, there was a uh, optimistic note struck at one. one, one. One moment in the speech. We settled the Wild West, won two world wars, 
landed American astronauts on the moon. And one day, very soon, we will plant our flag on Mars. Well, come on, let's go for a trip. That'll be a real gas. Yeah, we'll be weightless for years and maybe give the country some class. And now, still unearthed, ladies and gentlemen, allow me, if you will, to read the trades for you. You'll have to hum the music. These things happen. This from Advertising Age and its publishing partner for this story, NPR. I'll read it for you. It can be difficult for any marketer to know what to say and how to say it during a crisis. The COVID-19 pandemic and recent Black Lives Matter protests across the U.S. have presented marketers with one of the most challenging advertising environments in recent memory. 
Many companies have chosen to highlight the various ways in which they're supporting customers and protecting their employees. What exactly do customers want to hear from brands right now? 88% of participants in a recent Twitter survey said brands should provide reliable and accurate information during the pandemic. 77% said they would feel more positively about brands making an effort to support society. Concern for others was reflected throughout the survey. Those are exactly the kind of empathetic messages that resonate with public radio listeners. NPR has attracted a highly desirable audience of well-educated and loyal followers that appreciate the unbiased fact-based journalism NPR delivers, and that audience has been growing rapidly. A recent NPR survey examined attitudes toward sponsorship messages during the pandemic, found that listeners were most interested in how companies are supporting employees, followed by how companies are helping customers, how they're involved in their communities, and how they're managing business operations. Audio technology is shaping how brands communicate with listeners, with consumers. With earbuds, for example, the experience is so intimate that marketers are literally inside a listener's head. So when brands are talking about something of substance in the audio environment, they have to be the real thing. No one knows this better than NPR. NPR has been connecting with listeners over audio for over 50 years and creating an environment where brands can share inspiring stories of their own. One such solution is Brand Soundscapes, customizable audio vignettes developed in-house by NPR's National Public Media that is distributed across all of NPR's digital platforms. In recent months, the offering has been leveraged by brands in a range of categories, looking to sponsor coronavirus-related content, including financial, healthcare, technology, grocery, publishing, consulting, and streaming services. This spoken word environment allows marketers to tell a story or explain a company's goals, often in the voices of employees or customers, in a conversational tone that can enhance a message's authenticity. Many brands focus on the human aspects of technology to make complex ideas more relatable. Stories like these that feature the people behind a product do especially well with audiences in 2020. In 2020 so far, 21% of people who listened to Soundscapes clicked through to the sponsor website. The segments can also highlight human stories in critical areas of the business. For instance, a recent Chipotle campaign featured the Cruz family, sorry, the Cruz family, sixth-generation pork farmers in Iowa who supply the quick-serve chain. Chipotle supports young farmers like the Cruz's by offering financial aid in the form of seed grants and scholarships. In the sample vignette, two of the siblings explain their work as a family operation and the major financial obstacles to farming. Marketers can set the stage for first-rate creative in the exploding audio medium. This includes the one-third of all Americans who listen to a podcast monthly and the qu one-quarter who own at least one smart speaker. Whether the work meets its specific engagement and response objectives, which it did for Chipotle, depends on a multitude of factors. Here are a few best practices. Make sure the company walks the walk. 
collaborate with agency and brand partners in pre-production planning. Interviews are typically unscripted, so it's critical that brands and their agencies have a clear understanding of what they hope to gain from the process. Prioritize a fact-based approach to strengthen a brand's, sorry, to strengthen a brand's authentic voice. Even with the flexibility of longer formats, full audio segments and soundscapes can run up to three minutes. Marketers will still want to make sure that every word counts. Speakers should give an authentic, detailed account of the featured product, service, or program and its outcomes. As brands continue to head in this direction, they may discover how well original audio content pieces can complement their overall marketing portfolios. The purpose of Chipotle is to bring about a better world, executive of the company says about NPR's campaign. Bringing light to this issue was great for the company and the farmers and the customers. The consumers really engaged with it. It reflected the core of what Chipotle is all about. How audio helps brands tell stories in their authentic voice. From NPR and Advertising Age. Reading the trades, even without the music. It sounds better with the music. But it's, it's still, I don't think the music was key to it being a copyrighted feature of this program. I don't know. I'll have to look into that. Uh, and now, ladies and gentlemen, you know that uh, as the coronavirus thing seems to be uh, one, one uh, authority, one public health authority on uh, the Sunday Yak shows uh, actually said, forget about anticipating the second wave in the fall. We're in the second wave. And uh, under the impact of the numbers that have been coming out this week, we have seen for the first time Republicans, prominent Republicans, Republican politicians, ease away or begin to ease away from the administration's policy of what, 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 epide- what pandemic? Uh, specifically, you found more congressional leaders on the Republican side edging towards, if not actually indulging in, mask wearing in public. But, you know, a, a, a 180, that profound in public, is not as easy as it looks. And I look forward to constructive talks with you on how we can engage together on this important legislation. Sincerely yours. Okay. Just sign of Mitch. Mm-hmm. Speaker Pelosi always thinks that's a good sign. No harm in giving her false hope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Diane, anything else? Only the uh, the thing, Mr. Leader. The mask thing? Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Mm. I mean, we did set uh, aside 10 minutes on the schedule for training right about now. Oh, I know, but I've got a lunch with the Republican leadership, and I'd hate to have... Mask marks on your face? Mm. I think we got a cream that can take care of that. Because, you know, you get to be a certain age, mm-hmm. and your skin just becomes a 
a damn tattletale. <laughs> yes, sir. So? All right, I guess if I'm going to do the pivot, I, I shouldn't be the last damn Republican on earth to do it. Well, that's what we agreed in the strategy session, so... We uh, could just start with this one. Well, I'm not going to put that on my face. You're touching it, for God's sake. This is your bag, sir. Well, I suppose if I've, if I've got my own bag... So the key is, you don't touch your actual mask either. Mm-hmm. Well, was I just going to jump on my face when I say abracadabra? <laughs> no, sir, that's what these little things are for. The little stringy things are handled. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That doesn't look like very durable construction. <laughs> Not that I'm any expert on constructing anything but tax cut packages. They're disposable, <laughs> so I guess the uh, stringy things aren't built for endurance. Mm -hmm. But in the short term, you want one of them in each hand. Otherwise, no, I know. It just closed up like a clamshell. And then you put them over the ear. Uh-huh. Great. That just dangles down one, from one. one. One of the stringy things over each ear, sir. Yeah, got it. I have to hand it to these people. They kind of thought of everything. And then just slide it down till it covers your nose and catches on your chin. Okay, but uh, uh, now... No, you had it there for a minute, sir. I know, but my just, chin didn't catch it. Just, just kept sliding down. Wait. You know, Dan... I may just have to reluctantly conclude that I don't have a chin for mask wearing. We could put a little thing on your nose to keep it from... Okay. I'm I'm just going to hold it here for right now. Okay. Then I'm going to go on a limb here and say this is not a great aid to public speaking. It looks like it's, it's, it's getting sucked in every time you breathe. Daniel. Breathing through my mouth has been good enough for six decades of public service. I don't well, you think... Could, you could just take one really deep breath before you put it on, mm -hmm. and then... I, you know, I'm beginning to understand why the president is so resistant to all this. We both went over the polling, sir. Mm -hmm. This gives you every bit as much of a bump as signing on to the police reform bill with none of the thin blue backlash. Well... I can tell that between the breathing and the keeping the thing from sliding down, my nose is going to be a hell of a lot busier. <laughs> Worst things have happened in our campaigns. Well, you're certainly on the money there. I still can't get over what I had to do with the pharma limbo party. <laughs> so what do you think? Well, I'll try it on my way to the caucus. If nobody notices any face marks, we'll put it into the appearance bag. Good deal, Senator. And then when I'm through, I'll just yank him off my... Ow. Not nice and easy, Senator. Wow. Those strings are tougher than they look. And now... I hope, I hope they reopen schools soon so I don't hear those, have to hear those kids singing anymore. This from Science Magazine. When OneWeb filed for bankruptcy protection last March, astronomers breathed a sigh of relief. The company planned to launch thousands of Internet-providing satellites 
satellites to get Internet into places where they couldn't get Internet into before, into low Earth orbit where their reflections could disrupt the observations of ground-based telescopes. That sounds like fun. But now the company has risen from the grave with the announcement this week that the U.K. government and the Indian cell phone operator Bharti Global have successfully bid to rescue OneWeb to the tune of a billion dollars. The revived company now plans an even larger constellation of up to 42,000 satellites at an altitude of 1,200 kilometers. Help me pay somebody with the kilometers. The worst possible combination and the worst possible outcome for astronomers. Yeah. Knew you should have studied genetics instead, huh? At that altitude, satellites will leave bright trails across telescope images all through the night, effectively ruining the observations of survey telescopes. It's the stuff at 1,000 kilometers that is the real killer for astronomy, says an executive of the European Space Agency. Engagement with astronomers has to happen, and it has to happen now. There's an astronomer in a hurry. Astronomers first became concerned about such mega-constellations, Tom. Mega-constellations. Yeah. Sounds better when you say it. Last year, when SpaceX, brainchild of brainchild Elon Musk, lofted the first batch of its Starlink satellites, the aim of the project to provide Internet access in areas hard to reach with cables, maybe they like it that way. The sat- yeah, I know. Maybe people like to be hungry. The satellites, launched 60 at a time by a single rocket, proved to be highly visible in the sky. Well, Elon's got to know they're there. That alarmed astronomers. The company has now launched 540 of the little buggers, part of an initial goal of 1,584, and will be providing, so they say, an Internet service here in the United States and in Canada before the end of the year. Early on, astronomers began working with SpaceX to mitigate the impact of its satellites. In a January launch, one satellite was covered with an anti-reflective coating called DarkSat. <laughs> that, was a we- that was an all-hands weekend. And in June, one satellite carried a sunshade to stop reflections. That was called VisorSat. Really get some namers, Elon, into the, into the game, into the ti- onto the team. DarkSat partly reduced the satellite's visibility. It wasn't enough to satisfy astronomers. VisorSat has yet to reach its operational altitude. Let's let's help it get up there. The uh, European Space Agency executive says Starlink's last next launch will be populated entirely with VisorSats. OneWeb, though, is one of several other companies chasing Starlink with similar goals. Astronomers had only limited interactions with that company before it temporarily went uh, under. While new owners were being sought, the company applied for permission to expand its team of satellites to 42,000. The U.K. government said its acquisition of the company will contribute to the government's plan to join the first rank of space nations. Initial reports suggested the government wanted to transform the constellation into a navigation system to compete with GPS. There's no mention of that in this week's statement. The uh, rescue of OneWeb still has some political and legal hurdles, but uh, 
Robert Massey of the Royal Astronomical Society said, I would hope the government uses its leverage to ensure one web by our good partner and engage with the scientific community. It's hard to believe they didn't know. Unquote. Oh, yeah. It's real hard. Nobody could have predicted. And in our recent travails, San Diego police turned a technology pitched on the promise of reducing traffic fatalities and tracking carbon emissions into a tool to surveil protesters. This is from Mashable. Legal and tech tech experts saw this coming years ago in the midst of ongoing Black Lives Matter and anti-police brutality protests. San Diego police looked to an unexpected source to gather surveillance footage. 3,200 so-called smart streetlights installed across the city beginning in 2017. The Voice of San Diego, a local news source in San Diego, oddly enough, did a public series of public records requests determined that in late May and early June, the network of smart streetlights was accessed at least 35 times. The uh, department was looking into incidents of vandalism, looting, and destruction of property, as well as objects being thrown at passing vehicles or police. In 2017, the Electronic Frontier Foundation predicted the exact situation There is an inherent risk of mission creep from smart cities programs to surveillance, wrote the EFF in a blog post about a San Jose smart streetlight proposal. And in 2018, the ACLU put forth a similar and similarly on-the-nose warning. Quote, many of these smart city technologies involve cameras that can be tasked with jobs that range from keeping track of traffic to monitoring when the corner trash can gets full In a city blanketed with cameras, including in LED light bulbs found in streetlights, it would be very easy for the government to to track which political meetings, religious institutions, doctors' offices, and other sensitive locations people go to and focus its attention even more on traditionally over-policed communities. Smart streetlights, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing dumber in a smart, 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 smart world. And now... um, as we deal or continue to or look forward to the time we can avoid continuing to deal with matters of police procedure regarding citizens citizens of color, we turn to Chicago, where a public memorial is part of the first municipal reparations package in the country to address police violence. The initiative was approved by the city of Chicago way back in May 2015. It was designed to address the wrongs perpetrated in probably the nation's longest-running police brutality scandal, according to ProPublica. For almost two decades, former Chicago Police Commander John Berge led a crew of officers who tortured more than 125 individuals, most of them black, oddly enough, into confessing to crimes that many say they didn't commit. Berge was convicted in federal court of perjury and obstruction of justice for lying under oath about the torture. Sentenced to four and a half years in prison, he died two years ago. The $5.5 million reparations package included a formal apology from former Mayor Rahm Emanuel, financial compensation to survivors and their families, cheap uh, free entrance to city colleges, a mandatory public schools curriculum to educate students about police torture, and 
last but least, the creation of a permanent public memorial. Uh, the other things have happened. We didn't, I think I had the, the mayor's apology and apologies of the week coming up soon on this broadcast. In a statement, the spokesperson for the current mayor, Lori Lightfoot, said the city is committed to continuing to work, committed to continuing to work on proposals for a memorial that honors the victims of injustice, unquote. Well, you could follow the example of a former Chicagoan turned United States president, his memorial to the victims of torture by the United States government cannot be seen. It does not stand in the mall. But it can be heard. You gotta remember, we were really afraid. We'd ignored the warnings, and then we got played. There was panic in the White House, panic at state, panic at the Pentagon, people working really late. They were patriots. They cared and they fought. What the contractors sold, they bought. So we rendered some Arabs with the help of the blokes. Like it or not, we, we tortured, tortured some folks. Now we didn't think it was torture per se. That's what the White House counsel said back in the day. Enhanced interrogation is how it was known. So we slapped and waterboarded and froze to the bone. Sure, it violated our values and laws, but we were more scared than when we first saw Jaws. Some very good men did some very bad things, but who among us knows why the caged bird sings? So we tormented some Muslims, then went out for some smokes. It hurts to say it, but we, we tortured, tortured some folks. Now we could look backwards. We could game the blame. We could point fingers. We could wallow in shame. We could punish the guilty for each little flaw, as we're supposed to do under international law. We could say we're sorry, which we never do, because we're exceptional, and so are you. So let's leave it at this. Let's leave it unseen. Let's look to the future and wipe the slate clean. You don't want to pursue this. Neither do I. It would be like busting me now because I used to get high. So let's pretend we don't hear the screams and the croaks and just tell our grandkids we, we torture some folks. folks.
No jokes. And now, no relation, the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. Hundreds of protesters marched to the home of St. Louis Mayor Lydia Cruson last Sunday night. While chanting, resign, Lydia, take the cops with you. Demonstration came after Cruson read the names and addresses of people calling for police reform during a Facebook Live video. Mayor was asked about that, including the names of both partial and full addresses of those calling to defund the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department. Cruson released a statement later that day saying the names and addresses she read are public information. I'd like to apologize for identifying individuals who presented letters to me at City Hall. This was during one of my Facebook updates as I was answering routine questions. Never did I intend to harm anyone or cause distress. The update is removed, and again, I apologize. Despite her, the calls for her resignation, she's not stepping down. Because there was absolutely no malicious intent, according to her communications director. Reverend Theodore Rothrock of the St. Elizabeth Seton not Satan, St. Elizabeth Seton Catholic Church in Carmel. This would be in Indiana, not the Carmel you and I know. Apologized this week after he was criticized for calling Black Lives Matter organizers, quote, maggots and parasites, unquote. He says now, it was not my intention to offend anyone, and I'm sorry that my words have caused any hurt to anyone. I don't think he was thinking of anyone. In his original uh, message posted, we could go. Yeah. He wrote that, quote, the only lives that matter are their own. The only power they seek is their own. They are wolves in wolves clothing, mass thieves and bandits, seeking only to devour the life of the poor and profit from the fear of others. They are maggots and parasites at best, feeding off the isolation of addiction and broken families and offering to replace any current frustration and anxiety with more misery and greater resentment, unquote. The post has since been removed from the church's website. He, Reverend Rothrock, from St. Elizabeth Seton, has been suspended from public ministry by Bishop Timothy Dorty as of Wednesday. After multiple women, including several high-profile musical collaborators and at least one then-underage fan, accused Ryan Adams of sexual misconduct and abusive behavior last year, the singer-songwriter shared an apology this week. Adams last year denied allegations in the New York Times expose that he sexually harassed women, claiming he would help their careers. Now he says he was sober and has secured professional help. There are no words to express how bad I feel about the ways I've mistreated people throughout my life and career. He told DailyMail.com, a period of isolation helped him root out his issues, he said. To a lot of people, this will just seem like the same empty BS apology that I've always used when I was called out. And all I can say is, this time it is different, unquote. Well, he could work on Wall Street. Ashley Taylor Bronzak, a Washington, D.C. socialite, has issued an apology for putting others at risk after she tested positive for COVID-19 following a backyard party she hosted at her home last month. She's only following the lead of the president. Dateline Pine Hall, North Carolina, a North Carolina racetrack, has lost some partnerships after its owner advertised Bubba Rope for sale online days after NASCAR said a noose had been found in the garage stall of Bubba Wallace, the only black driver in NASCAR's top racing series, said owner Mike Fulp. 
owner of the North Carolina racetrack in question. It was a joke, man. Ain't nothing racist. A concrete company and a driver series ended their partnerships with the half-mile dirt track in Stokes County, North Carolina. The uh, ad said, buy your Bubba rope today for only $9.99 each. $9.99.99. They come with a lifetime warranty and work great, said the ad. A black church pastor went to the track over the weekend with members of the congregation demanding answers. He streamed the uh, meeting on Facebook Live. He said he was greeted with people carrying guns and was shocked to see the owner came out. I never imagined that Mike Fulp would come out and speak to us, he said. Mulp, uh, Fulp apologized and shook hands with the opposition. I made a mistake and I'm sorry, Fulp said. I don't want nobody hurt, man. I don't want nobody hurt, okay? This is a, not a joking manner, matter, the reverend, the preacher said, clergyman said. It's a matter of life and death for members of our community. A top Adidas executive resigned this week, weeks after a number of black employees pushed for her ouster amid a wider outcry over what they said were past acts of racism and discrimination at the company. Karen Parkin, who is British, had been the only woman on Adidas's six-person executive board for the last three years. She worked there for over 20 years in sales. Her decision to leave the company reflects that commitment and her belief that a new HR leader will best drive forward the pace of change that Adidas needs at this time, said the chairman of the company's supervisory board. She acknowledged that she had lost the trust of employees. While I would very much like to lead this critical transformation effort after much reflection and listening to the feedback, I've come to accept that I'm not the right person to lead the change. Well, that's not really... Did she really... Yeah, I guess she did. Her apology, in which she wrote, should have offended anyone, I apologize, struck many employees as hollow. There you go. You had to get to the, the very bottom of it. Actress Florence Pugh has apologized for committing cultural appropriation in the past. In a lengthy Instagram post, she, she says she's ashamed looking back at photos she'd taken in her younger years in which she'd worn cornrows and used henna tattoos, the latter of which have cultural and religious significance to Native Americans as fashion accessories. In a similar vein, both spellings of the word, Lisa Koshi, Liza Koshi, has apologized for recently resurfaced videos in which she used an accent stereotyping Japanese people. She said she is holding herself accountable to do better. And Megan Rapinoe, one of the first athletes to kneel during the national anthem in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick, Rapinoe said she received a phone call from the newly minted U.S. Soccer Federation president to apologize for how the Federation responded to that decision to kneel. She revealed this on an ESPN podcast. Who knows? The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
there are some very believable and relatable messages from companies who care coming right up. Which means that's it for this edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over the same public radio or other stations. And whenever you want it, on your other audio device of choice. Your smart speaker. Your smart ottoman. And it'd be just like having a smart ottoman if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? All righty. Thank you very much. Uh huh. for this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, and the playlist of this broadcast, all available to you for free. How does he do it? Volume, he yells, all at harryshearer.com. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk, Pam Halstead and Thomas Walsh here at WWNO New Orleans for help in today's program. And I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from 10th Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO, New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from Wearles, New Orleans.